This is Dr. Prem Subramanian. I'm the online content editor for the Journal of Neuroophthalmology, and I'm joined today by Dr. James Garrity from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and Dr. Michael Kazem from Columbia University in New York. And both of them were recently authors of a point-counterpoint piece on the utility of orbital radiotherapy in the treatment of thyroid eye disease. And we were going to talk today about some of the issues that were raised in that article and hopefully expand on that a little bit. So first of all, Dr. Kays and Dr. Garrity, thank you for joining me today. And I'd like to start by uh, asking you, Dr. Kazem, you raised uh, an issue when you were discussing the pro side of orbital radiotherapy as to the data of its utility for compressive optic neuropathy, because I think that's an area where perhaps both you and Dr. Garrity think it might have some use, but the data are really lacking, and we don't have any prospective trials. Uh, can you tell us how you might design a prospective trial to look at this? Could it be done ethically? Could we compare radiation to the steroid therapy that some of us use for these patients as well? Well, you make a, a very good point, and it has been one that has challenged us over the years. <clears throat> I think that the Mayo Clinic study some years ago clearly defined the subgroup of patients uh, that uh, do not respond well uh, to radiotherapy, but for those of us who have used radiotherapy over the years, the primary um, indication, at least in my practice, has been for compressive optic neuropathy patients. Um, and in the, uh, with the notion that we would want to have a prospective uh, series of data to uh, prove that, that's, you, you make the, the absolutely best point, which is, can we create an ethical prospective trial on patients who, for certain, need treatment? So one clearly cannot have a, uh, a study in which some patients are treated with radiotherapy and some patients are not treated. So you have to then compare it to other forms of, of therapy, and you mentioned uh, corticosteroids. Uh, one could try to compare radiotherapy with or without steroids with steroids alone, or one could compare radiotherapy to perhaps what is truly the gold standard for compressive optic neuropathy, uh, surgery. And I, and, I, uh, and I think that would be a reasonable comparison. Now, having said that, I think it would be difficult to construct a, a, a truly modern study because of some other elements. First, clearly, this would not be a blinded study. People would know who would receive what forms of treatment. Moreover, I think it would be hard to truly randomize that set of patients because uh, of the uh, patient's desire to select one of those two or three forms of, of therapy, and it would be difficult to truly randomize the approach. Uh, finally, if in fact you're comparing it to a surgical intervention, then one gets into the complexities of the types of surgery are done, and frankly the differences in the, the techniques in different institutions, which again makes that a difficult matter. So what we're left with, unfortunately, are you know retrospective trials with regard to compressive neuropathy. We're left with relatively small studies, although I'm glad to preamble the, a study that we're going to be presenting at the, uh, the Academy this year where we're going to have a, over 100 cases of retrospectively reviewed uh, study of, of uh, orbital radiotherapy for compressive disease, but that's about where we stand. So I, I, I would wonder how uh, Jim might think of, of putting together a prospective trial uh, in this regard. Dr. Garrity, what are your thoughts on this topic? Um, I, I remember when I was a resident 
um, in the uh, um, early 80s, and we used to consider optic neuropathy an emergency, at least at our institution, so that if a patient had a diagnosis of an optic neuropathy in the morning, they usually had surgery the next day. But when we reviewed our experience with uh, optic neuropathy and surgery, we had about 215 patients that we reviewed in uh, 2003. And as I reviewed the charts, there were many patients uh, that had their optic neuropathy for months and months. And in fact, their outcomes from surgery uh, were um, no different than uh, folks who had surgery early on. So I, I think just anecdotal evidence from that chart review showed that uh, patients can tolerate an optic neuropathy um, seemingly for quite a while with no adverse um, effects. Um, so the, the first consideration, would it be ethical to have a study for optic neuropathy patients? I think it would, but this would certainly engender a lot of debate on either side. But I think you'd have to keep the time um, interval um, short. Certainly you couldn't keep it going for 9 to 12 months or so, but I think within um, a few months a person could um, observe uh, some of these uh, patients. The, the, the gold standard, according to the UGOGO group, is um, IV steroids for a couple weeks. So um, if you could design this study, and, and you'd have to stratify it for smokers, um, and I, I think you'd also have to exclude the diabetics or the folks with uh, hypertension, um, you're, you're kind of left with a small number of patients to study, and I don't think one institution could do it at all. It would have to be a, a large uh, study where one arm of the uh, uh, trial would be IV steroids uh, alone and perhaps a total of up to um, X grams over a couple weeks. Another arm could be uh, radiation therapy over two weeks, and perhaps a third arm would be radiation therapy plus uh, IV steroids. Um, as I mentioned, the, the, the numbers are probably going to be uh, small, so the, the power calculations to uh, put together a study, I, I think, um, are, are going to be difficult logistically. Um, but anyway, I, I think that a, a study certainly could be considered. Great. Well, it sounds akin to some of the challenges uh, we've faced with looking at idiopathic intracranial hypertension and trying to design a randomized trial for that as well. And as you know, we are nearing the end of the first trial to study that, so maybe now that we've taken on that challenge, we can attack thyroid eye disease next. So <clears throat> I'd like to ask both of you, and maybe uh, Dr. Garrity, if you want to answer first, uh, you made some of the arguments uh, about the data that ORT may not be effective for this, and in terms of the lack of efficacy versus natural history in particular, and perhaps some of the side effects, uh, the same argument might be made for corticosteroids as well. And in your practice, I know, uh, do you still use the orbital radiotherapy? Do you use the corticosteroid therapy? How in your mind do you uh, decide between one or the other? We have not been uh, big believers in radiotherapy, but um, we do use um, corticosteroids. Uh, oral steroids certainly are much easier to use, but uh, if you keep a patient on oral steroids um, for a month or two, 
um, the side effects quickly catch up with patients and um, attempts to get patients off of steroids um, often fail because they become steroid dependent. I think a better option, as uh, the Kahali group from Germany showed, is that um, once a week IV steroids not only are more effective, but they have uh, less side effects than daily oral steroids. So uh, within the past few years, uh, we've been sending uh, some of our um, bad patients, if you will, uh, for once a week uh, IV steroids. And so far, I think it seems to be working um, as well or better than the uh, daily oral steroids. Uh, Dr. Kazem, any thoughts on the weekly oral, uh, weekly IV steroids in particular versus uh, orbital radiotherapy? And do you use one or the other in your patient population? Uh, I think Jim make, made a good point. Uh, one of the difficulties one has with IV steroids um, is the logistics of, of uh, arranging for uh, the dosing to be given. Um, I think that uh, cumulatively the, the uh, downside of the IV probably is less than a large, long course of oral steroids, uh, but it can be, again, difficult to, to manage. Now, along those lines, um, that is primarily, I think, the way that in the last 20 years I've begun to change the way I think about orbital radiotherapy, and that it is not in and of itself necessarily a uh, singular uh, therapeutic uh, entity, but rather as a steroid sparing agent. Uh, and in, in this study that um, I alluded to, uh, as we're gathering the, the results, we were able to, um, in, again, if we're using a decompressive procedure for reversing optic neuropathy as the gold standard, we were able to avoid that type of surgery for that type of patients um, in over 90% of this group. So that if, again, you're, you're, you're suggesting that these, this worse group of patients needed uh, some intervention and surgery was it, if not for the intervention, then we we're able to avoid that. The other thing that we're looking at, which is kind of an, an interesting sidelight, is to the question of how long the patient needed to be on steroids. Because clearly if the length of time that the patient needed to be on steroids was, was equal to their projected length of active disease, well then we really didn't provide them any, any benefit with the radiotherapy and we're parsing out the data to determine whether in fact we were able to shorten the course of steroids, shorten the, the, the total length of time, the uh, total dose, and the time to what we would consider physiologic doses of prednisone. So, you know, those, that's sort of a secondary measure in, in the study, and I think that, that will be interesting. But, you know, in my practice, oral steroids is easy as simple. We get these patients down to 20 milligrams or less within several weeks, so it, it doesn't really produce a profound problem in that regard for me on the, in the vast majority of patients. And one other thought being that uh, in the really bad cases where oral steroids don't work, I've never seen a patient in whom IV steroids work. Mm. Along those lines, I'd like to ask both of you, uh, is this all a bit of a moot point with some of the newer therapies coming about with some of the data on rituximab and maybe some other agents coming down the pike? Uh, do you think that uh, we'll look back on this in 10 or 15 years and say, ha, 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 well, why were we using those things? What do you think, Dr. Garrity? 
Personally, I think that um, the jury is still out on rituxan. There are two randomized trials um, going on right now um, to establish efficacy on rituxan. One is here at Mayo and the other is in Italy. Um, rituxan is an expensive drug. Uh, it's not without significant side effects. And uh, at this point, uh, I, I think that um, the hypes, the expectations for rituxan um, are ahead of the curve. Uh, there was a study on rituxan that came from California a few years ago, but there were so many uh, confounding variables that I don't think that article really established the fact that uh, rituxan was effective. So uh, at this point, um, I, I would say that uh, one should hold off on rituxan use until its efficacy has been shown in, in the randomized trials. Dr. Kazem, any thoughts? Have you been using any other medications in your practice? Well, I think uh, to begin with, Jim makes uh, an excellent point about the, the need for reservation in, in terms of our enthusiasm. Just from a historical perspective, we were through this uh, some 20, 25 years ago with the advent of cytoxin, imuran, methotrexate, IVIG, and the like for the treatment of, of, orbital, of uh, thyroid eye disease. <clears throat> and they were all subject to small trials, poorly designed trials, small prospective trials, and none of them proved to be efficacious. Now, whether or not they're efficacious or not, the data such as it is, poor, uh, failed to show any evidence of, of efficacy, and as a consequence, we will never revisit those questions again. So this time around, one would want to avoid that uh, confounding issue. Moreover, and, and probably more importantly, um, you know, Jim's point about the, the safety here is, is of paramount importance. These drugs were developed for uh, deadly diseases and for profoundly uh, disabling diseases for which there is no other therapy. And as um, has been stated, uh, previously, no one ever died from thyroid eye disease, and one, you know, has to consider these drugs which can produce lymphoma, uh, PML, uh, overwhelming infections uh, in a population of patients who routinely does very well, uh, and in only a small number of patients does poorly. Those subsets of patients we can't predict, uh, and in fact, that's one of the impetuses for this uh, ITEDS group, is to try to find better metrics try to find better ways of predicting who these bad actors are going to be, because if one treats, as is oftentimes done in these studies, sort of late in the disease, it's probably well past the therapeutic optimum. Um, so we have a lot of groundwork to do, and during that time, frankly, we'll learn more about these drugs. Some of these, these side effects have become more apparent to us as, as the drugs roll out and, and get used for their primary indication. So we'll have a better idea of safety on uh, profiles of these drugs. And then, the, as Jim again suggested, you know, doing a, a, an excellent prospective trial to examine this is the only real way to do this. For, and while we all hear about uh, individuals, individual physicians and individual practices using the drug, uh, any one of these drugs uh, uh, for the milder cases, Probably the best way to, to approach this, the safest way to do so, is in a prospective trial. But to answer your question, um, <clears throat> I would reserve uh, these, folk, uh, these uh, drugs for the folks who, despite all measures, you know, uh, medical and surgical, they fail. 
and now you're at you know at, at wit's end with how to save this person's vision. And, you know, and those patients come up even in a busy practice uh, very rarely. So I think you know caution uh, is important um, in, in this in this case. Great. Yes. Uh, clearly, I think there's still some questions we need to answer with all of these modalities, and so I think the point both of you made about coming up with a better prospective trial to study this issue may be the best thing that we can do at this point. Well, I'd like to thank both of you for joining me today to discuss some of the controversies surrounding our therapies for thyroid eye disease, and uh, again, thank you very much for uh, contributing to the article and to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast represents the copyrighted content of the Journal of Neuro-Ophthalmology. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast represent those of the participants. They do not necessarily reflect those of the Journal of Neuro-Ophthalmology or the North American Neuro-Ophthalmology Society.